Attention culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Kraken When Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds who met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our absolute favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where every week we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. We'll talk about how our relationship with the film has changed over time, how the films build on each other and form our understanding of the Force. Finally, we'll provide you with some recommendations for other material you may enjoy if you love these movies. This week... We are gathering the data from our probe droids and discussing the gold standard of plot twists, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Daniel, Colleen, you guys ready to try this? Do or do not. There is no try. Freaking Yoda. Yoda. (laughs) Let's make sure the hyperdrive actually is working. (laughs) Good call. All right, let's dive into it with uh, some initial box office numbers. So this movie was originally premiered May 17th, 1980. It was then re-released in 1981 and 1982 alongside uh, A New Hope. And then famously, it was digitally remastered in 1997 as the special edition. On a budget of $33 million, which is about three times the original movie, but still pretty low considering today's standards, it made $181.4 million on its initial theatrical run totaling across all of its releases, $838.4 million. Which is a lot of money. On a budget of $33 million initially, obviously you add a little bit to that for the recuts, the re-edits, but still probably not that much. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty solid return. This movie was written by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan from a story by George Lucas and directed by Irvin Kushner, which mm-hmm. it's always one of those things that it ends up being a sort of a litmus test among Star Wars fans because you <laughs> always think of George Lucas as the writer director, and he did he only directed A New Hope in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear, we don't hold that against you if you don't know <laughs> that. Those are toxic fanboys who would hold that against you. All right. No, you must know everything about Star Wars at all times. <laughs> Good lord, my poor brain. It would explode, (laughs) just like the Death Star. (laughs) Hey, this is one of the only movies we don't have one of those in. Right? 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 It's probably why it's the best one. Yeah, it does something a little bit different. So uh, why don't we get into our initial reactions? Uh, What was the first version that you guys saw? 
I think just like the uh, A New Hope, I'm pretty sure I saw this on VHS at some point in my youth. And then I saw it in 1997 during the special edition release when it that came out in theaters. Colleen, how about you? Yeah, pretty much the same as last time with The New Hope. I saw Empire on VHS first when I was young. And then, of course, the special edition in theaters. Not as offensive as The New Hope. I mean, you can't really do much to this movie to make it bad. It's just that good. I love, love, loved this movie. And I wasn't as afraid of it as I was when I was younger of the first and the third ones. For some reason, those two really freaked me out. I don't know why. So this one freaked me out the most as a kid, I think, because of the whole darker tone and everything. Um, Just like A New Hope, I saw this with the 1995 VHS set. I actually watched all three of them in one day. We were snowed in (laughs) back in the day and back to back to back. Um, Perfect. I'm amazed that you remember that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's one of my most formative memories. It's like one of the earliest memories I have. Um, I love it. (laughs) So I realized, though, I have never really watched the special editions because when I was watching it on Disney Plus this time, I'm seeing all this different stuff uh, that I had never seen before, really. We figured it out. My brother has a copy of the DVDs, and on the bonus features, they have the unaltered editions. So we used to watch the unaltered editions on this DVD, (laughs) so I had never seen these special editions until this run-through. That's really, really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I realize I'm very lucky in how sheltered I have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a good pivot to where we stand on the edits Mm -hmm. and everything. Because I realize Bespin looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really does. It's stunning. I love how they open it up. I remember uh, one of the scenes, Leia and, um, and Lando and Chewie are running through the halls of Bespin. And then just in the regular version, it's just a hallway. There's nothing to it. And in the special edition, they completely open it up. They're on like this platform now and you can see the gas skies in the background. It just looks beautiful. I mean, Colleen, you're right. There's not much you can do to it other than just make it look prettier. Mm -hmm. And they nailed it. Yeah, don't mess with it. It's fine. It really (laughs) did. And Bespin specifically is a very good example of kind of getting back to what we talked about last episode with a lot of the Tatooine and the Moss Eisley and like kind of the silliness that they just threw into the background. Whereas here, it absolutely just everything works when they open up the world. They get the mm-hmm. wide shots of getting into Bespin. They open up those windows so you get a view of the rest of the city as they're walking around. It's really good. This movie in particular had much, much more subtle changes to it mm-hmm. than the other films in the original trilogy when they did the special editions. I absolutely love adding the Wampa I love the idea that in the original cut, you didn't really see it that much. That kind of monster that isn't there. It's a whole different vibe. But seeing it in this edition is just so much cooler. And then for continuity's sake, adding Ian McDermott as the Emperor um, in that scene with Vader is really cool because he is so tied to that character now. Although I do want to give a special shout out to Marjorie Eaton, who was the physical actress that played the Emperor in the original cut of that scene. Just the uh, the image, though, the voice was by Clive Revel. Then they used some kind of like weird composite tech or something. They put like chimpanzee eyes on her or something to make her look a little bit more menacing. Mm-hmm. Terrified me. It's a kind of sunken eye socket thing. Yeah, and she actually... I mean, if you go back and see like the side by side of that, that looks more terrifying than Ian McDermott as Palpatine as oh, we yeah. know him. Yeah. 
it was absolutely more creepy. Um, but fun little tidbit that I learned just like in the last week or so before we were recording this, Marjorie Eaton would be the earliest born actress to appear in a Star Wars production. She was born in 1901. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Good for her. That's so wild. I love it. Get after uh, it, Marjorie. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The changes in this one did not bother me. I don't think one one of them did. More tauntauns? Like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Give me more. I love the tauntauns. I have a stuffed tauntaun. And They'll it's adorable. In hell. And makes <laughs> Corellian hell. <laughs> Not Earth hell. It's Corellian hell. Um, the wampa? Yes. More hairy beast, please. Loved it. Ian McDermott is a national treasure that we should cherish. His line readings are just fantastic. He knows what kind of movies he's in. And he just chews the scenery, even with like a couple lines. It's wonderful. And then, of course, Tamara Morrison's voice as Boba Fett. Like, yes. I love it. I love I it. I love his <laughs> accent so much, especially since the recent Mandalorian season and the upcoming book of Boba Fett. It's good to get more Tamara Morrison. Check out Bohemian Geek Studies for our coverage on Mandalorian season two. We had a lot of fun with that. We also want to give a shout out, though. While it's great for continuity to hear Tamara Morrison in Empire, like, yes, please. Then obviously we also get him in like the prequels, Clone Wars, Mandalorian. We want to raise our glass to Jeremy Bullock, the original live action Boba Fett in this film, who sadly passed away just last year. Absolutely. Though officially not the original Boba Fett. Thank you, holiday special. Yes. Live action Boba Fett. (laughs) Not cartoon Boba Fett. (laughs) Not cartoon Boba Fett. Yeah. I think you both have uh, touched on really the big changes. I just want to say one more thing about the Wampa. I remember when I first watched it, intimidated the heck out of me. I thought it was so scary. And then going back and watching as like a teenager, I'm like, oh, this isn't scary. Why did I ever get bothered by this? And then watching the special edition, like, oh, okay. They they made enough changes where I'm like, the Wampa has become intimidating again. I'm like scared for Luke in that moment. It's amazing. That definitely. It's actually kind of funny. I, over the course of the last like year, year and a half for what have you, I have absolutely recognized the Wampa as this very terrifying monster. But because of my relationship now with Lego Star Wars and how (laughs) (laughs) there are a couple of times where they show up with the Wampa and he comes off as just like that misunderstood parent who you Mm. have like taken his child. And so that's why they're coming (laughs) after you. So now I'm just like, oh, it's just, it's just like, he's just protecting his baby. It's fine. Oh, that's hilarious because (laughs) that's, that's hilarious because my perception is way different. I remember there was Wampas in the Force Unleashed video game, Mm. and they're absolutely terrifying. They come out of nowhere and they're coming after you. So I've only been more terrified of them as the years (laughs) have gone on. Are they chasing after Sam Witwer? That would be scary. Uh, Yep. I know. Poor Sam Witwer. Protect him at all costs. Protect first husband, please. (laughs) Colleen, we'll get there. I promise. Wait till we talk. Wait till we talk about Phantom Menace. Yes, that's fine. But talking about how things have changed or whatever, I'm curious about you guys. I mean, when it comes to how your relationship with this movie has changed over time, I know for me, it is absolutely 100% my favorite Star Wars film. Even if you take out like the giant twist, the Darth Vader is Luke's father reveal, everything is just so well written, so well paced. Right around the time when I was kind of like really getting into movies and everything and like the early to mid 2000s, there was this big movement of 
we have one good movie that's a standalone. So then we're going to green light, write, and shoot volumes two and three mm-hmm. back to back all together. You see this with The Matrix, Pirates of the Caribbean, to a lesser extent because of the movie aspect, but I'm talking about the Millennium series, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like every, yep. where volumes two and three are basically just one long story. And I'm like, why didn't you just make one movie? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> and this movie does such a great job of just standing on its own two feet and doing what is probably one of the hardest things to do, bridging the gap between volumes two and three that so few things can actually pull off. But I mean, what about you guys? Colleen, how about you? Yes, yes. This is sequel perfection, masterclass sequel making, especially when it's a trilogy and it's the middle chapter. I love this movie even more, just like you, Anders, as I get older, it's beautifully shot. The score, once again, John Williams, just hats off to you, sir, because it's amazing. Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, my God, (laughs) they nearly blind everyone with this like electric lust coming off of them. It's amazing. We called them electric last movie, but this one, they're just, they are on fire. Yes. Fire movie. Every single scene with them is fantastic. And you can kind of tell too that Kirshner was like, ooh. We're sticking with them for like mm-hmm. most of the movie <laughs> because they're just that good. Like the poor guy trying to get down the hallway. <laughs> he's like, excuse me. Oh, I just got to squeeze right by you now. I do <laughs> want to call out that scene. Actually, I saw you put this in your in your notes for this section. And I do mm-hmm. want to call out that guy and everybody else around them because none of them look up to like see what's going on. And I refuse to believe that that would be the case. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Everyone would be looking. Or it's probably like, happened oh, really? before. They're used to it now. They're like, oh, no, they're fighting in the hallway again. <laughs> I love it. I love that part so much. And although the first kiss scene doesn't play as well now, yep. I still think it's really sexy. I can't help it. I, like, hit puberty and watched the scene over and over again. Like, sorry, y'all, but this mm-hmm. was peak tween clean sexual awakening Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher like wow and you know like Han initiated it but Leia freaking grabs his head and kisses him back Mm -hmm. like hot very hot and speaking of hot please 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 more Billy D Williams can't get better than this scenery chewer I love him all of the capes please and also I watch Vader a lot more closely now that I'm older this is like Anakin kind of peeking out that obsessive possessive person that we meet in Revenge of the Sith like this isn't quite Vader because Vader's cranky and whiny but and drama queen and a drama queen and a drama but in this this is like going outside of his usual because he was just kind of like scary in A New Hope this is another level yeah he's on one in this movie (laughs) you're so right the expansion of Vader as a character and the expansion of his personality is one of my favorite parts of this movie because you know like you said he's just kind of a generic he's the bad guy uh someone else is ordering him around in a new hope and here we see him flexing his muscles he is out there ordering people around being a drama queen the entire time which we absolutely (laughs) love for him Um, such a good look on him (laughs) it's it's such this movie is my favorite star wars movie i i I just i always love it it's amazing because we see this expansion of the force. You get mm-hmm. the serious tone coming in, but we don't lose the humor and that sexy, sexy energy, yeah. uh, which you just love. Uh, so I mean, it's fantastic. And I, Anders, like you were saying, it has such a hard job by continuing the story of A New Hope and also setting the seeds for the final entry 
while telling its own story, but it manages to do all of that while it expands our understanding of characters and of the of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's it, there's a reason why it's my favorite Star Wars movie, and it's never going to change no. unless you know they pull something out of a hat, which I'm very open to. I mean, yeah, they, they came might. pretty close. They've come yeah. pretty close with Rogue yeah, One. Pretty darn good, and that they're both downers. Like, yeah, so they're, they're the two best movies, and they're both downers. Because <laughs> that was such a huge thing for me as a kid. I had always seen these happy movies where everything ends up like mm-hmm. okay in the end, and that was my first instance of seeing. Oh, you can oh. end a movie with the bad guys kind of winning. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. It was amazing. It was a very formative viewing experience for me. And speaking of the bad guys, we also get a few new ships mm-hmm. in this movie, and a lot of them are on the Empire side. So I'm going to start us off with some ship shout-outs to Vader's executor-class Dreadnought Destroyer. <laughs> that thing is massive. In the previous film, we had really gotten like the regular Star Destroyer, and then there was the Death Star. And now you find out that there is, in fact, this middle class in between. There's this shot where the Star Destroyers are coming through and there's this shadow looming over them and you find out that it is just this other larger Star Destroyer. Holy shirt balls. Just Vader wild. needs to big a ship, y'all. <laughs> Drama queen. Well, there are other parts of him that don't work anymore, so. <laughs> Touche. We also, we get a little bit for the Rebels. We have the snow speeders. These are modified T-47 air speeders that the Alliance updated, kind of, to use in Hoth's extreme cold conditions. It comes with the two front-facing cannons and that rear-facing harpoon that Dak doesn't get to shoot. Oh, poor Dak. Oh, poor Dak. Uh, We also get some of the Empire's land capabilities with the Mm -hmm. AT-ATs. Those camel walkers, they're so confusing. They're I so slow, them. but I love them. And we had one of those as a kid yeah, uh, too. that you could play with. Oh, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also get the ATST. Uh, so the two-legged walkers, the chicken the little chicken walkers. Yes. In one shot, in one oh, background goofy. thing. Yep. <laughs> There's yes, one guy. There. They're so goofy, but I absolutely love them. Mm-hmm. I love them too. We already talked a little bit about Cloud City, Best Ben. We were trying to figure out, like, does it count as a ship? Not really. It does have those repulsor lifts that keeps it where it is in the sky, but it's more like a floating city. And I don't think it can escape the atmosphere and go into orbit. So maybe not ship per se, but Cloud City does have those Storm 4 twin pod cloud cars and they count as a ship. Those are really cool, especially Mm -hmm. in the special edition when you see like the pair of them coming in behind. Mm -hmm. Everything's really cool. Mm And while, I mean, obviously the Millennium Falcon we've talked about before, we do want to give a special shout out to Han's flying capabilities that caused the two Star Destroyers to almost actually collide with each other. You see the uh, Imperial officers dodging, trying to be like, oh, crap, we're about to hit each other. Something that will ultimately pay off again in Rogue One. Also, coming back to our good friend Boba Fett. Slave one, Boba Fett himself. This isn't his first appearance. Once again, shouts the holiday special. This is the first time that Slave One is seen in films, and we'll see it again joyfully in The Mandalorian. Oh, I love more it. Boba Fett, please. More, more. Um, I also just have to give a shout out to this scene. Now is so much better having seen Solo. Uh, C three PO comes out. <laughs> and says, I don't know where your ship to learn to communicate, but it has the most peculiar dialect. 
Well, I mean, yeah, she's got a peculiar dialect. L3 is talking horny right now, and C3PO yes. <laughs> has no idea how to handle it. Well, and it's like three different brains in there, like three mm-hmm. different droid brains, so they're all fighting and chatting with each other, and poor 3PO is probably like, what is happening? Oh, he has no idea. He's so prude, he doesn't get it. You know, though, when they put in the course to Bespin, she was excited. All right, like, I'm really curious now for your guys' opinions, though. <laughs> if L3 had her pick, would she go with R2 or 3PO? R2. R2, way more adventurous. Yeah, he's into kink. Like, totally. <laughs> <laughs> We're going for R2 for L3. <laughs> he might be a little too spirited, though, for her. Although Lando is pretty spirited, I still think that L3 is in charge in that relationship. So maybe 3PO would be a better fit. <laughs> I, I think L3 and R2 would have like a Han, Leia, like mm. constantly bickering, mm-hmm. but then stupidly in love. Yeah. Which one's which in that relationship? Who's in charge? Well, it's Leia. Who's Han? And, well, who's, <laughs> who's Han and who's Leia? Oh, R two is Han because L three is in, is in charge. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, moving on from the droids, I'm moving into some particular alien shoutouts. I do want to give a shout out to Lobot, who mm-hmm. is Lando's kind of his Chewy. He's not mm-hmm. an alien per se. He is a human, and he has that cybernetic crown on him it's not until rebels that we find out that sentient creatures actually take those cybernetic upgrades to more or less process information at the speed of a computer and they take in huge amounts of data which is why he kind of activates like a droid like you might think he's some kind of an android of subtype although that does often come at the expense of their sanity yeah their personality and then we also in this movie get the the rogues gallery Effectively, all the bounty hunters standing there. Just a couple of them I want to shout out. Mm -hmm. IG-88. Really, really interesting to see a droid with an independent career. You know, we get this sense of droid personality or everything, but they're always a slave to their programming, to their master. To see one that is basically a freelance bounty hunter is really cool. And more so given season one of The Mandalorian with Mm -hmm. IG-11 and his journey. <laughs> we also see Bosk, the Trandoshan bounty hunter, that has made appearances all over canon in the novels and all kinds of little side materials. He doesn't really get as much love in this original trilogy, but he does get to stand there and look menacing. I mean, I uh, this might be a little too early to start my anti-Trandoshan uh, campaign, but not a fan <laughs> it's never of those too guys. Early. Yeah, it's fuck those guys. Yeah, yeah. They are a little bit of jerks. We only have <laughs> like two good ones. This is fine. Yeah. So I'd love to shout out the space worm that is living in the <laughs> asteroid that the Falcon lands in. I mean, you think like, oh, yeah, we're just in a cave. It's a little weird. Leia steps out and she goes, oh, this doesn't feel like rock. And then the next thing you know, there's Minox flying in, which shout out to them. You live inside a space worm. That's kind of badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I love that thing because it's it's horrifying to think that you're inside of this creature and it could have just swallowed them whole. Yeah. At the same time, it's fascinating. Like what is existing out there in the galaxy? And then it makes you think, you know, in our own galaxy, is there anything like that hiding in the stars somewhere? It's in the ocean. Hopefully nowhere near earth. It's in the terrifying ocean. That is where it is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh goodness. Never go down there. (laughs) Something like that will be down there. And then finally we have to shout out Yoda. Everybody loves Yoda. He's wonderful. Mm. So Frank Oz was more or less, quote unquote, on loan from Jim Henson to do the role. 
and Henson cited Frank as being his other half to George Lucas. And he's like, sure, here's Frank. <laughs> like, feel free <laughs> yeah, to take, take Frank. Him. I'm busy. <laughs> so Frank Oz is both the voice and the lead puppeteer for our little green puppet. Aww. He was actually created by Stuart Freeborn of Lucasfilm and Industrial Light and Magic. But Yoda was not what people were expecting, really, when they heard the words Jedi Master that Luke was looking for, especially after meeting, like, the noble Alec Guinness Obi-Wan in A New Hope. Yoda is the most popular, I would say, creature, probably, from Star Wars, and one of the most recognizable Star Wars Mm -hmm. characters. I remember when I was little and I first saw him, I'm like, oh my god, he is so cute. I loved him (laughs) immediately. And then... He was like this aloof kind of nuisance to Luke, which I also enjoyed. But then my little brain was like mind blown when he kind of turned away from Luke, who's being a jerk at this point. And he's talking to Obi-Wan and he's like, ugh, really? This is the Skywalker you brought me. (laughs) When he kind of like shed that stooped posture and he kind of stood up straighter and challenged Luke back, I was awestruck. My little kid brain just was, yes. It was so cool and really subversive for that kind of role. And it still plays really well today. It's still mm-hmm. very surprising to it see really- Yoda be like, oh, I'm the freaking Jedi Master here. So shut up, Luke. It, it <laughs> I've really done this does. for 800 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when he does that, the turn when he's trying to talk to Luke about the training and Luke is like, oh, I'm not afraid. And he suddenly is like, you will be, be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will. That still gives me chills to this day is oh, yeah. that puppet is just so expressive. However, they managed to pull that off. However, many people were involved in making the eyes, the ears, everything work together. He just embodies this mentor type archetype so well. Mm-hmm. Um, very Merlin-esque. Yes. If we think about, you know, what came before, I'm thinking about like the animated sword in the stone, that kind of kooky old man mentor (laughs) who still gets serious. But at the same time, he's, while not the first to add that level of like kind of quirkiness and whatever, he just, everything about it works. Everything is balanced so well. You believe Mm -hmm. everything this little guy is saying. You believe he's a real character. One thing I actually was really wondering about, and it's one of the things kind of getting back to the last couple of years or so as I've kind of grown as a Star Wars fan and getting into more of the lore, more of everything. What do you guys think he actually meant? What does Yoda mean when Luke is talking about going to Bespin to rescue Han and Leia? And Yoda's like, if you do that, you will destroy all that they have fought for. That one was actually, I was like, what does he mean by that? What does Yoda ever mean? Do we know? (laughs) (laughs) He's so cryptic. Um, I always assumed, like, as I got older, that this was him fearing that Luke would fall to the dark side with Vader. Like, it wouldn't take much. He's like, Luke is not strong enough, Obi-Wan. What is happening? He's just going to topple and go right Mm -hmm. into Vader's arms. Mm. I think so long the rebellion, if that happens, if Luke's gone, even though Yoda does say, quote, there is another, end quote, Luke's right there, though, like starting training, and he chooses to run off and leave training and go rescue his friends. So Yoda... Well, starting, maybe, yes, no. There's yeah. there's some debate about how long, how much time actually passes yeah. there. A lot of debate. I think, like, Yoda's just tired, guys. <laughs> He's so yeah. tired. He's been waiting for 25 years. Not 25, sorry. 19 at this yeah. point. 19 years for 
Oh, I'm sorry. He's been training Jedi for 800 yes. years, and well, he's, he's trained, like almost yeah. 900 years old at this. So he can he's wait like, 19 more years. He can wait a blank. Wait 19 more years, but he's just like really again. <laughs> I have to deal with this again. Yeah, I think in he was doing too. some cold calculus in that moment because mm-hmm. I, I mean, either fall to the dark side or die. Because if yeah, or if die. Luke goes and he dies and Han's captured and Leia's captured. Mm-hmm. Those are the three biggest heroes, like notable, like front facing heroes to the rebellion. Yeah. I mean, if he does that, everything like like you're saying, everything they fought for collapses. Mm-hmm. So I think Yoda in that moment was just thinking, you can sacrifice Leia and Han and you can continue onward and and be the hero that we need. Mm-hmm. But if you go now, you're throwing all of your lives away. Right. And you could all die. Exactly. All right, I guess that works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, they didn't really know what Return of the Jedi was going to look like yet, either. This is true, and I, we're going to get to that a little bit, <laughs> in a little bit. But um, getting into though, in terms of this particular movie, I mean, we've we've all talked about how at this point this is like the perfect sequel. What are you guys like untouchables, unbearables for this movie, Daniel? What do you think is like absolutely perfect here? What doesn't quite work as well? So there's. Only, like, really one thing that I have to complain about, other than, you know, the Han Leia scene not playing as well uh, to today, even though it is still kind of hot, Colleen, you're right. Um, the Luke Leia kiss is so hard <laughs> to watch now that we know how, like, how their story goes forward. I know at the time they didn't quite realize that Luke and Leia were going to be brother and sister. They didn't mean to pull an incest, mm-hmm. but it's gross. And to be fair, they do actually see- have two kisses in this movie. Oh god, they do. <laughs> There's another one later, and it's much more of a peck on the second one, but there are two kisses there. See, but that one's yeah. less weird, yeah. so I don't think about it as much because the first kiss, Luke just leans back, he puts his hands behind his head, and he gives Han yeah. that smirk. And he's like, my sister, oh, y'all. Buddy, no, 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 no. And yeah, like um, Leia was trying to make Han jealous, but still. It's but still, something. bad look now. Oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that's like the only really like thing that I have to complain about this movie. I mean, but it's it's my favorite for sure because it's just it does so much heavy lifting because it builds up these characters in ways that you know we we get introduced to them obviously in the first movie, but this is where they really get to like take shape and form their like big personalities. I mean, we see Luke really delving into what it means to become a Jedi and wield the Force. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, Vader takes that villain forefront. We see his personality showing up. Uh, all the little jokes that he likes to make as he's force choking people across TV screens. <laughs> um, and Leia leading. It's nice to see her in leadership roles and just actively taking like even more initiative. Like Obviously, she took initiative in the first one. She led her rescue attempt. Um, <laughs> but it's, yep. it's just amazing seeing how like obvious and easy leading is to Leia. Yeah, and I I like that the movie ends without a good, happy ending. The heroes are in retreat. We have no idea what's happening with Han. It's, it really, like, you can feel the stakes, you can feel the danger, and it's a huge influence on other stories going forward. Uh, So I love it. It's just, it's, that's why it's my favorite. Very, very true. Um, Moving into some of the things that I noticed in this film, especially on this rewatch. I'm just going to throw it out there. In the snowspeeder, why is the gunner facing backwards? 
Like we talked about, <laughs> I specifically looked it up for this episode of this podcast of the gun capabilities on those snow speeders. And they don't have rear facing cannons. They have front facing cannons and the back is just the harpoon and the tow cable. So why is the gunner facing backwards if for the most part he should be gunning forwards? I just want to know. All right. I hope he's got a good view screen. <laughs> I I really hope so. I, I don't know. <laughs> he has to have good coordination. I also feel like Dak could have yeah. survived if he was facing the other way. Just throwing that one out there. R.I.P. Dak. <laughs> mm-hmm. For real. We love you, Dak. Um, in terms of the what's untouchable, some of the great things about this movie. I mean, we talked last time about Vader being a total drama queen. And so in that vein, <laughs> I do want to shout out a couple of moments from this film. In the Battle on Hoth, he is on the hologram, little tiny Vader on the holopad of the ATAT. <laughs> and General Veers says the shield will be down in moments, and all Vader does as a reaction is puts his hands on his hips in a total 80s power stance. Which we love. Which I absolutely, especially like having just come off of us talking about the drama queen aspect, I was like, oh, that's so great. That's just amazing. And I love when we brought this up before recording. We all had different moments about his drama queenness. Later on, when he is doing the uh, the duel with Luke in the like bowels of Bespin, when he like is supposed to be doing a jump down, he doesn't like crouch and jump. He just like spreads his arms and does a total Dracula drop <laughs> with the cape. <laughs> Like something like you might see out of a Tim Burton Batman. Yes. (laughs) It's amazing. So good. Um, The other main thing, though, that I do want to shout out for this film is actually the texture. Mm. And so we saw some of this in A New Hope, especially at the Rebel base on Yavin 4. But in this one, you really get a sense of the dirtiness the real grime of the rebels versus the very sleek cleanliness of everything in the empire i mean that white snow on hoth is not pure white it is dirty it is chipped everything about it is not pristine and then when they're on dagobah luke and r2 are absolutely filthy Mm -hmm. they are covered in sweat covered in mud everything about it it just makes it feel so much more real we've talked about it a couple of times so far tonight it's another one of those things that they'll bring back when they do rogue one and like force awakens that's one of the aspects that they bring back that they kind of lost in the prequels a little bit yeah more on that in future episodes (laughs) very shiny um and then the one other kind of unbearable that i really noticed this time around i want to ask why do they just call boba fett the bounty hunter he has a name he had an established canon name as of the holiday special a couple of years before. Why don't they actually name him? Vader's we just a the name. We never hear the name Boba Fett in this movie. Do not. Vader's a ever... He doesn't care. Very true. <laughs> Bounty hunters that... probably don't have the best reputation as well. But on that note, I, I mean, obviously, this is the one that most people know Boba Fett from. Has there ever been a character in the history of movies who has done more with less? Oh my gosh, he does nothing and everyone loves him for it. <laughs> it's the helmet. The helmet and the just kind of general aura he puts The up. armor for sure. But what gets me every time is when Vader tells him no disintegrations. 
and it makes me want to know what did you do last time man which apparently i think they do have a canon uh answer now yeah yeah check out mandalorian he likes just disintegrating people i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah so so vader's probably just being petty like i told you no disintegrations so we're not even going to use your name yep go talk to hr <laughs> go yeah. fill out forms to fill out <laughs> go file a complaint <laughs> oh man boba fett i love him um, okay, so unbearable. This is more funny because I think it's hysterical. It's unbearable for Han, though, because Lando mispronounces his name all the time, every time. Han! <laughs> I love it. And other people will do it when he's around. Yes. Does it on purpose? I love it so much. Um, seriously, though, the opening crawl says that the rebel cell that is on Hoth is being led by luke skywalker which is a big freaking stretch mm-hmm. like no general Riken is in charge we see him in the movie he gets a name in the movie and luke no no leia yeah. it vastly outranks you in this rebellion leadership structure like nice try star wars crawl but luke is just a pilot he's like the symbol of victory for destroying the death star but he's not the leader like yeah. i'll even wedge and Talisa's is out there pulling off the flashy moves, but still everyone's like, oh, Luke this, Luke that, Luke, Luke, Luke. Like, mm. It's for the hollow net. It sells the headlines. It does. He is a good figure to have on the Again, Last course. Jedi, we see the power of those stories. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is true. That does stretch across. But they then got rid of in Rise of Skywalker, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> we will talk about that later. Um, Untouchable, the two best scenes in this movie are Vader's no. I am your father reveal incredible Mark Hamill slays this part. I know some people think it's cheesy, but I'm like, actually he's killing it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And then Han and Leia right before he's frozen in carbonite, two of the most famous lion readings in film history. Like, yes, please. No, I am your father. And then the fact that Harrison Ford ad libbed the, I know response to, I love you just makes it even better, especially since he proved that it was the better line than George Lucas wanted because the focus group was like, no, Han wouldn't say I love you back. <laughs> it's it's one yeah. of the hottest scenes mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. It is. My it God, is. I love it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. The magic of those cheekbones. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't even smile. He just like, he, he does a small nod. Mm-hmm. I know. That's all you had to do. Well, moving on a little bit into how this film functions actually as a sequel and as a potential precursor to the threequel that we will ultimately get, I do want to bring us back a little bit to Billy D. Williams. Now, Colleen, you mentioned him earlier, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious where everyone officially stands on Lando, not necessarily as a character unto himself, because I think most people would agree Lando's cool. We love him. But if you look at him through the lens of this was the potential Han replacement, they were not sure Mm -hmm. that they could get Harrison Ford to come back for a third movie. So we weren't sure. I mean, we weren't sure as an audience. They weren't sure as a studio if Han was ultimately going to come out of that carbon freezing. Mm -hmm. So if you had to actually take him out and replace him with Lando, Han's friend, still kind of a smooth swashbuckler type, Definitely an attempt to diversify the cast, which Star Wars has a, I won't even say checkered history. Star Wars has a pretty bad history with trying to diversify the casts of Mm -hmm. their movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
especially at this point, they are distinctly white. For me, I think it mostly would have worked moving forward, although actually having him wear Han's clothes in the closing scene was a (laughs) bit of a stretch too far, but I'm curious what you guys think about this. Um, You know, the Lando cosplaying as Han at the end aside, uh, I I would have been fine if, you know, I would have been devastated if, if Han didn't come back, but Lando is just so cool. Like, I remember thinking he was one of the coolest characters. I had his action figure, and we would play with that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, Lando was just cool. Like, he just oozes cool, and there's no way around it. So if if he had been, you know, the Han replacement, I would have been fine. Um, mm-hmm. Though I'm glad that we get both. Yeah, I'd agree. He, I think they cast it well. If it oh. had been anyone else, I don't know if it would work as well. Because he, you can tell he's a sleaze ball, but he's so charming that he gets away with it. Like even Leia's like, I don't trust Lando, but also, hey Lando, yeah, he's magnetic. <laughs> he's, he's yeah, magnetic. to he this draws day, people to, him. <laughs> to this day, I really want the Batman movie that has Billy Dee Williams as Two Face, like he oh, was originally yes. supposed to be. That would yes. have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Billy Dee <laughs> has all the again. charisma. Yeah, even you can tell even Harrison Ford in those scenes is like just let Billy D go, just let, <laughs> let it go. Oh man! So I I really enjoyed how much we get to build on uh, from the planets and settings because you know we only get really like Tatooine, the Death Star, and Yavin Four, and it's just all very small, isolated sets there. And in this one, we get to see Hoth, we get to see that base, we get to go to Dagobah, we get to go to Bespin. We see all these different Imperial ships. So it's not that many more uh, set or settings, excuse me, but it just feels so different. And you, there's just a quick enough pace where you're going to all these different places and it feels like such an expansion of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like to see that because you get to see like a concentrated population of people that are outside of the rebellion. They're outside of the empire. Like uh, I was about to say Billy D. Williams. Lando <laughs> full on says, we're not under the imperial control here, so it's it's so cool seeing someone outside of that, uh, you know, the structures that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so just expanding the scope of the galaxy like that is amazing. It is really cool. Although, gotta knock Lando a little bit. He's like, "Oh, we're outside the Empire's control." By the way, Darth <laughs> Vader's in the dining room. <laughs> we're, we were outside of their control as of about a week ago. Yeah. Whoops. They moved that garrison in really quickly. Yeah. Um, I love, like, I already said the score before, but the Imperial March, for real. Talk uh, about building on an existing score amazing. and building into the world. Incredible. How many freaking football teams use this? How many, like, not even football, sports teams use this for, sports like, ball. the villains? Them, yeah, right? the sports ball. Yeah. Sports ball teams use the Imperial March for, like, the visitors coming in. Marching bands use it all the time. Like, yes, we got a real villain theme for this movie and I love it. It's a it. gold standard when mm-hmm. it comes to, to movie scores. Yeah, it's fantastic. Love it. John Williams. Bow down to John Williams. Always. I think too, we talked about this a little bit about there being no Death Star. It mm-hmm. gave us a better sense of what the Imperial fleet looks like. That Dreadnought class Star Destroyer, the At-Ats for our good friend, Sarah, <laughs> uh, for the ground <laughs> assault, the various deaths and promotions. <laughs> give a clear insight into the inner workings of the Imperial power structure. I mentioned earlier, well, I was going to mention earlier, but I think I saved it for this time that I noticed the attitudes of the officers toward Vader 
they're much different in this movie. In the first movie, he was on Tarkin's leash, so he wasn't quite as imposing to them. But he fits easier into this power structure as the head. Oh, yeah. And he's calling the shots. He's killing everyone. (laughs) The one guy, when he's kind of marching silently off the bridge, and the one guy's, like, looking at his pad, like, trying not to look (laughs) at Vader. And then when Vader passes, he's like... yes gingerly looks over like yeah oh, it's fantastic <laughs> so good i love that um however we do get our little introduction to the actual big bad of star wars when vader gets on his knees in front of that hologram of palpy palpatine emperor love definitely it. Love definitely I shout do- out our guy sheev oh sheev mm-hmm the uh the mastermind behind it all one thing i do actually think was really really interesting about this movie though going back to what you just said about the imperial officers and how they are definitely terrified of vader they are very very quick to take that promotion that he just kind of bestows upon them something that i think would not happen if you made this film today though they don't seem that eager to like backstab each other and throw each other under the bus they just kind of take things that come at them now (laughs) they just take that way i mean there's the one guy who's just like i'll take full responsibility for losing Uh them and apologize to lord vader I think if you made that movie today, even if you look at some of the other Star Wars properties that have come out since then, they don't have that attitude. They are absolutely willing to be like, nope, you're going to be the one to tell him you're going to do this. Reminds me of a general in the First Order when we get there. Yeah, (laughs) definitely, definitely. Yes. Now, if I'm remembering that scene correctly, the guy who says, you know, I'm going to go inform Lauren Vader personally, I'm going to take full responsibility isn't that Captain Nita of the apology accepted Captain Nita? Yeah. Yeah. Just a few just a few minutes later, he is uh-huh. dead, dead on the floor. <laughs> dead on the floor, and Vader is quipping at him because, as always, drama queen. Mm-hmm. Absolute drama. It's okay. There's always more like middle-aged white British guys just waiting. <laughs> waiting There's so over. many. It's fine. <laughs> Colleen, you want to start us in on a little bit about what this movie does to build our understanding of the Force. Yes. So in those opening moments on Hoth, we get Luke using the Force to grab his lightsaber. This is like a more conscious manipulation of the Force than we saw him use in the last film. And we also see Yoda use this telekinesis to lift the X-Wing from the swamp. Oh, iconic. Uh, So building on the voiceover from the last film, we get the first full Force ghost here on Hoth. Um, it's it's interesting to note that the two most recognizable force abilities, telekinesis and force ghost, they just do not appear in the first film. They mm-hmm. show up here in Empire, and they're some of the most recognizable things about the force. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love that even though George was light on the details, it, when they build in uh, those seeds and they plant them in, they make sense. It, it's, it never feels unnatural. It never feels out of place. Mm-hmm it's an expansion it's never a weird tacked on add-on um and then just a quick side note obi-wan with the qui-gon erasure (laughs) i i understand the meta reason like i get that qui-gon as a character didn't exist Mm -hmm. but come on he says uh you're gonna go find master yoda the jedi master that taught me sir qui-gon taught you how to be a ghost you are not (laughs) respecting your mentors if we're gonna be really really technical about that Yoda taught Obi-Wan how to communicate with Twi- with Qui-Gon. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, but <laughs> I will stand up here for Qui Gon Jinn. But Qui Gon had dope. to teach Yoda. Like Yoda had no clue. Mm-hmm. This is true. We'll get to oh, that goodness. in deleted scenes. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things we actually get a really good view here, though, is also we get Force visions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have luke in the dark side tree which i will always and forever in my mind thank you south park call the tree of insight um (laughs) where luke sees himself as vader we don't really know at that moment how much of a foreshadowing that is but it's absolute prophecy groundwork Mm -hmm. and then he does when he's doing the handstand with the rock floating and everything gets that full future vision of cloud city han and leia in trouble very very prophecy centric that we will get to in future films Mm -hmm. oh yeah um and this one struck me on a rewatch because i had never thought about it in these terms until uh you know seeing the the sequel trilogy we get vader and luke having a force time session um now i understand that's kind of a point of contention in the last jedi but we have luke on uh like He's, he's going through the tunnels trying to get away from Vader. He gets onto the Millennium Falcon, and they're communicating across distance. That is mm-hmm. fully the Force Time ability, yeah. and it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he also reaches that. Leia. So we get a nice little foreshadowing of, uh, of her abilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love when he calls to Leia. I yes. love that part. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is like the poor Luke and Leia shippers from before Jedi came out. We're like, oh, they're connected mentally. They're totally going to be together. No. <laughs> I just like how, how Leia and Chewie like slap Lando down when he's like, we can't go back. And they're like, bitch, we going back. <laughs> Shut up. in the pilot seat. <laughs> yeah, I love that Leia just like, no, no, no. This is what we are doing. Mm-hmm. We don't leave people behind. At least at this point. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to. Um, next, yeah. we get Jedi training. Way more boot camp style than Obi-Wan. Trying to teach Luke just little basic lightsaber techniques. The physical aspect of it. Using the Force to help enable those kind of parkour style movements. Jumps and flips. Both on Dagobah and during that Vader duel. So cool. Become one of the more recognizable Jedi traits throughout the franchise, especially moving into the prequels when everybody is jumping all over the damn place. Absolutely. And one thing about that, those training sessions that I do want to call attention to is Yoda's description of the Force and how it kind of builds on our understanding from the last movie. He's Yoda calls him, Luke, everybody, these luminous beings. We are not this crude matter. Mm-hmm. which kind of like hints at that force ghost capability and he also describes the force as an ally that's all around us now obviously last movie obi-wan described the force as an energy field it's all around us and we also talked about last time how vader describes the force in terms of its power mm-hmm. so here yoda describing it as an ally and being a powerful ally, he is taking it a step further than Obi-Wan did. He's giving the Force a certain consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's not a tool to be used. It's an ally to be worked with. Yes. Which I think is just a really, really interesting small distinction that they're planting seeds for future things. Right. Oh, yeah. Because Palpatine it's... wants to control it, not work mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. That's a dark side thing that we will get into later. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, very now, much we've so. We've gotten this far, but I realize we have failed to talk about the Luke and Vader lightsaber duel. So, if we can take just a quick minute to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely love this lightsaber duel. 
And I know I talked a little bit of smack last week about, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Vader. I still love the emotional, uh, you know, resonance of that, of that scene, but this is fantastic. We see Luke just with, like you said, those acrobatics in that fight, the spins, the moves, the force jump we see out of the carbonite pit and just the setting so stunning with that red glow and the steam coming out it's so ominous i remember being terrified as a kid because anders like we were talking about when he does that batman jump down the stairs to luke as a six-year-old that was terrifying Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing we get to see vader as this ferocious presence for real this time Mm -hmm. uh in a in a big tangible way and we get to see luke has really started to gain some of those skills that he was uh, training for in Dagobah. Seeing him really step up and use the lightsaber uh, in a big way for the first time is, it's amazing. It's its one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. Mm-hmm. When he does the force jump oh, and sorry. Vader uses telekinesis also during battle, which we had not seen. Like Throwing this- the objects around at Luke, yeah. breaking yeah. the window to make him like get sucked out of it. It's, it's so inventive seeing the force in combat mm-hmm. as well as using the lightsabers at the same time. It's also just such a cool, I, Daniel, you kind of mentioned this. It's such a cool set piece, yeah. the way they move through the kind of the bowels of the city. Because mm-hmm. obviously earlier we saw Cloud City as this big, shining, white hallways and all this like beautiful stuff. But when you get into down into the mechanics, it's much more visceral. Mm-hmm. It's much darker. They change scenery very, very well. It's kind of, it's very Death Star-esque when Luke goes through that window, that uh, the giant circular Mm -hmm. window. It absolutely looks like something that would be on the Death Star. It's so much darker than anything we'd seen up until that point. It is very violent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really violent. The first movie has fights. But not like this. Not this. Luke loses a thing. hand. Yeah, he at this point. So at this at this point, Luke is the third character who has lost a lost an arm slash hand. Yeah, we saw the we saw the doctor in the cantina on Tatooine. We saw the Womp Ice monster lose their arm to Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the one that like you feel the most. Yeah, yeah, because before you know our our heroes get into fights you know there mm-hmm. there's things it, there's stakes and everything but here we get to see luke, luke is maimed that is a yeah. huge deal to us because at the time none of us knew that he was going to get a new prosthetic hand mm-hmm. which shouts out to the technology in the galaxy for how it's yeah. progressed since his dad had to get a prosthetic great. yeah i'm sure he was going to try that hand out later but <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> Oh, and we also have to shout out that Vader freaking maimed his son. Like, he yeah. knows it's his kid at this point. It's not like him torturing Leia and not knowing that's his daughter. He knows. It's a family tradition. <laughs> He's just yes. bringing him into the Skywalker Later, family. at that point, Vader had lost all four of his limbs to his mentor. Yeah. So I'm oh, giving yeah. you one, son. I'm not cutting <laughs> everything off. <laughs> you still get to keep the left one. What's the big deal? Oh, man. All right. Well, I think that is where we're going to wrap up our official discussion on The Empire Strikes Back. So we will end, as always, with recommendations. So stories, content that you may enjoy if you enjoy Star Wars as much as we do. So I'm going to start this week. 
with a list of my personal favorite sequels. I'm limiting this to second installments that I think are ultimately better than the first film. So if I left a sequel off that you love, don't at me. That's my criteria. All right. (laughs) I'm going to go with Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Mm -hmm. Aliens, Mm -hmm. Shrek 2, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Mm -hmm. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and finally, Scream 2. Yeah, you're Those right. Are... Timothy Oliphant, nice Star Wars connection there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much so. And then this next one, I can't go into too many details about why I think this would be a good recommendation, but if you like Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> I think you might actually be a fan of The Good Place, the Mike Schur comedy that is currently streaming on Netflix. Fantastic, Greg. And then mm-hmm. moving into some more Star Wars actual in-canon recommendations, I'm going to recommend Dark Disciple by Christine Golden. It is a novel. It is a great complement to the training themes in Empire Strikes Back and kind of centering around the temptations of the dark side of the force. Full spoiler warning, it takes place during the Clone Wars era. So if you haven't watched Clone Wars or aren't familiar with that, spoilers for Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Vos. Mm-hmm. And as always, I recommend the novelization of this movie in terms of Empire Strikes Back. It is written by Donald F. Glut. Excellent. And I'll go into some Star Wars picks. First, though, I want to shout out the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown. It has this kind of feel, this epic space opera feel, the same as Star Wars. And the second book is one of three or four books I have physically thrown while reading it. <laughs> so very Empire-esque book book two it is the best book of the trilogy also so more hearkening back to empire it's fantastic check it out well i'm googling also, that now yes please <laughs> the more people i can get to read the better i love that series so much um next heading into our star wars books pick up lost stars immediately do not pass go do not collect 200 dollars. go get this book <laughs> this is a disney canon novel by claudia gray and it follows two childhood friends as they find themselves on opposite sides of the ongoing war. Oh, it's fantastic. The book takes place like throughout the entire original trilogy. So it works really well to accompany all three of the films, but the tone really fits Empire best. Also check out the newly published from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back for more short stories from characters like Dak, those intrepid bounty hunters. And yes, the Wampa gets a tail as well. Oh, for no. legends. I'm going to feel so bad about the Wampa. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel, I can't help it. Does the Wampa have a child? That's all I want to know. Does the Wampa have a baby? I am not going to spoil anything about these <laughs> short stories this time. I'm not going to pull another trash compactor monster. It hurt Daniel oh, too man. much. Um, legends. I'm a big legends head at this point. I always suggest Timothy Zahn. His canon stuff is excellent, but these two are going to be from legends. They are allegiance and choices of one. They're fantastic books. They mainly focus on Mara Jade, who is a Legends-only character at this point, and she is the hand of Emperor Palpatine. And there's also a group of rogue stormtroopers that actually are good at their jobs, Hmm. which is nice to see. That's why they're rogues. That's (laughs) rogues, for real, though. There are some great trio scenes, though, in this. It bridges the gap between A New Hope and Empire, so you get Leia and Han dancing around each other, even more Mm -hmm. flirting. It's fantastic. And then this one's just kind of funny as an add-on. Big shouts to the Star Wars Gangsta Rap video, which you can find on YouTube. 
It is so funny. The best, my favorite line is, you won't believe your eyes. Watch the X-Wing rise. (laughs) It's so good. It's ridiculous. If we're going to go with that, I do have to recommend (laughs) then search um, Fett's Vet Mm. on Mm -hmm. YouTube. The Boba Fett (laughs) rap (laughs) that I um, may or may not have played on a loop for about three and a half hours to some pledges in college. (laughs) That's fair. And also oh, very mean. <laughs> I'm going to be on a YouTube uh, rabbit hole now tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Daniel, right. how about you? So I'm going to have to shout out my absolute favorite childhood cartoon, which I still watch every year. It's Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, if you've not watched it, it follows Aang. He's the last survivor of his people, and he's also the reincarnated master of all four elements. So he is a spirit that keeps uh, coming back like every lifetime. And so he is on a quest to defeat the Fire Nation that genocided his people and are terrorizing the world. So it's a pretty heavy uh, subject matter for a cartoon, especially because it was targeted at kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second season really steps the maturity level up. And it is the Empire Strikes Back of that series. Um, It was amazing because you can tell it's very much influenced by Star Wars and its three-part act. And... um, it, it very the second season of that show tonally fits with Empire Strikes yes. Back. And Mark um, Hamill shows up. And Mark Hamill <laughs> as a Fire Lord Ozai. So if you are a Mark Hamill fan, go ahead and get over there. Mm-hmm. Um, we also just want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Kin Folklore Podcast. They have an amazing series where they examine Avatar The Last Airbender. And coming soon, they're going to have a Legend of Korra series. So that is the follow-up yeah. series to Avatar, which yeah. I also recommend. Watch that show. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then since I am the uh, resident video game head over here, I really recommend Star Wars Republic Commando. If anyone is listening that remembers this game, this is from the early 2000s, so it's original Xbox. Um, It is fantastic. You get to play as a clone squad. Uh, They are like a um, clone commando squad. And it's fantastic. You get to see the clone uh, camaraderie, excuse me. You get to see like uh, the expanded look at the galaxy, just like how in Empire Strikes Back, we see this expanded look. It's a little bit more gray uh, view of the galaxy and everything. It's very fun. So, you know, obviously it's during the Clone Wars, so it's not original trilogy like we've been talking, but it very tonally fits in with Empire Strikes Back. And I'm looking at you, Bosk. This is why I don't like Trandoshans. (laughs) Gotta do better. I won't spoil it for anyone who wants to play, but Trandoshans show up in a big way and I hate Be better. Yeah, just be better. Stop hunting Jedi Padawans. <laughs> Skier, thank you for being awesome. Shouts yes. out to the light of the Jedi. Shouts to Skier. Oh, boy. Love Skier. Talk about losing an arm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think that is where we're going to leave it. So thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWpod. Subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, wherever you happen to be, hit that subscribe button. Uh, If you head over to the web at ForgottenEntertainment.com, you can find us and all the other offerings from the Forgotten Entertainment family. You can also find Colleen and I on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast, where we are currently diving into Star Wars Rebels. Watch Rebels. Watch Watch Rebels. Rebels. And if you head to (laughs) BohemianGeekStudies.com, you'll also find Colleen's book corner, where she is reviewing Star Wars literature. I believe at this point, Colleen, you're getting into the middle of New Jedi Order. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big old legends. 19 books, friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and 
Tune in with us again next time when we will be discussing the natural next step in the escalation of the Empire's weapons development program, episode six, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Bye, Thank everybody. You, everybody.